And how appropriate for the day. Uh, here we are in the Lord's house to sing about God's house. Well, it's a real treat for us today to welcome Mark Walker to our pulpit. He's a friend of our church for several reasons, and uh, a name that probably has crossed your ears in the last few months, a time or two, and uh, we are honored to have him here today. His journey into the place where he's currently standing and the journey and the path he's been on, I'm sure is one he will tell you is a great adventure uh, that opened up by the Lord. Mark served 16 years in ministry, serving in a faithful, fine Baptist church, sister church, that we would certainly um, affirm in so many ways, and we're thankful for that ministry. About a decade ago, the Lord redirected his ministry from being in the uh, local church ministry uh, to gathering in a, a different house, the people's house. Opened up the opportunity for him to serve in Congress and served faithfully, served this district. And uh, we are thankful for that uh, commitment he's made to our community and to our state and to our nation. He has had an opportunity to be an influence in a place where biblical Christian influence needs to be in a life that certainly reflects values. Politics is not an easy game, I'm sure Mark will tell you. And it's not a place many of us would dare to venture ourselves. But it has been interesting. It's been um, encouraging to see him as the Lord's directed him and used him in so many places, and I'm sure more ahead. And uh, many people realize Mark's transition from ministry to politics uh, in the election of 2014. What many people don't know, maybe some of you here, was that the last place of ministry Mark served before that transition was right here at Gospel Baptist Church. For several months, he led our music and uh, was here leading a congregation. And so we developed that friendship here that uh, endures to the day, and I'm sure it will for a long time. So join me today in welcoming our friend, uh, Mark Walker, to the pulpit. Thank you, Dr. Miller, Pastor Paul. It's a privilege to be back with you folks. <clears throat> I think it's been about eight years, I think, since uh, we were here. Man, how time travels a little bit. Got a little bit of a little <clears throat> cough or something going on this morning, but we'll try to, to keep it from being too annoying. You know, some of those cough drops you'll pop in, you, don't, you get a little surprise at the end. <laughs> I don't know what that liquid is coming out of there. I'm, I'm, I'm usually a pretty teetotaler. I don't, I'm not a drinker. I don't know what that is in there, but it, uh, it, it'll mess you up there for a second. But we are privileged to be back with you guys today. <clears throat> uh, a, a little bit about my background. I, I did grow up in the panhandle of Florida, uh, known to most Floridians as the Redneck Riviera or Lower Alabama. Uh, most of Florida doesn't consider North Florida part of their state, but nevertheless, it's still the South that we had a chance to grow up there. And, uh, my dad was pastor there, and I'll, I'll, uh, I'll reference him a little bit later on in the message there. Uh, but we grew up uh, there in the South, either, either at ball fields or church or something. Moved, moved us to Houston, Texas in August of 89. Now, if you've ever been to Houston, Texas, uh, any time, much less the summer, uh, that, is, <laughs> that is one hot place. And I remember telling how hot it was to my staff one day in, in Washington, D.C., and uh, one, of the, uh, one of the staff, you know, was particularly interested in my story that how I literally had a cassette tape melt on my dashboard, and he finally raised his hand at 25 years old and says, hey, boss, what's a cassette tape? <laughs> He's no longer with us for different reasons, of course, but uh, 
but uh, we had served out there, my dad did, for, from 89 to a few years. But uh, I decided that I had had all I could handle of Houston. So in March of 91, I moved to Winston-Salem, North Carolina, and uh, began to work in business and finance there. And uh, I really didn't want any part of the ministry because uh, I grew up in it, and I was perfectly fine. You handle your stuff, I'll handle our mine, and we'll be just fine, right? You know, it really is a supernatural calling for Pastor Paul and, and, and Pastor Harley because not only <clears throat> do they walk through life carrying the, the different trials and tribulations of family and children and grandchildren, all the different things that you encounter there, but God has placed a, life, uh, a call on their lives to be able to carry what you're walking through as well. You don't do that in the human, natural, organic aspect. That's a supernatural calling, and I wanted no part of it, right? But worked in business and finance there. And I remember a guy coming into our business one day, and I saw him over in the distance, and he was, uh, he was being kind of loud and boisterous, and I usually can profile pretty quick, you know, growing up in ministry and serving in business and different things. And I the only two profiles I really get mixed up is a Baptist pastor and an insurance salesman. Otherwise, I'm pretty good at separating, deleting the two. Well, he happened to be a Baptist pastor, and, and uh, so I went over to talk to him, and I'd been visiting over, and in, in, I'd been there in Winston a few months, been visiting a church in, in, uh, in Walkertown, their gospel-like Baptist. But after a while, uh, he kept badgering me to come visit his church, so I finally relented that Sunday morning. 10 o'clock comes, I start looking for his church. I get lost. Would he say 109 or 150, which highway was it? And I kept passing this one church called Grace Baptist Temple. So about 10.30, 10.45 comes, and I, I said, I've got to go somewhere. Now, my mom was 1,200 miles away, but if I wasn't in church that Sunday morning, and I mean this with all respect, she somehow would know before the Lord Almighty whether I was in church or not. <laughs> And uh, I had a healthy respect that even at 22 years of age, she would find me. Um, so, uh, so I pulled into this one church called Grace Baptist. The music had started. I slipped in the back row. I see this blonde sitting on the second row. Now, I have no recollection of what her daddy was preaching on that Sunday morning, even though I had to act like I did later. Uh, but long story short, I uh, met her the next Sunday, went back. We've been married 30 years. She's a family nurse practitioner over at Wake Forest Baptist Medical Center. Three kids, and God just kind of ordained our path there. Served six years, and then, and then God did begin to, to move us into uh, really burden our heart about ministry. Came back and served 16 years as a pastor, and then about eight years ago felt called to go into the congressional arena, completely ignorant of the process, and uh, realizing that our country has much more of a spiritual problem than we do a political problem and uh, in where we get back. We won't focus on that a great deal today. We may reference it a time or two, but I really want us to kind of get in God's Word today out of the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 16, uh, verses 24 and 25 is where I really want to uh, take our reference point. Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 and 25, if you'll look that up just for a second. <clears throat> And we'll take our passage out of there. Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. Really what I want to talk about is three action steps of a believer. You know, with all different culture, with things that are happening spiritually, politically around us, what is our role? Has it changed? Uh, what is the number one thing that we need to be focused on? And these are really three areas, or I think three steps, three reminders that I want to unpack today out of Matthew chapter 16, verses 24 and 25. So let's read in verse 24 here. It says this. 
Then Jesus said unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake will find it. Let's pause just for a moment as we pray. Father God, <clears throat> we pause today uh, reading your word, your scripture. May the Holy Spirit take it, impress upon our hearts, impress upon my heart, Lord, what it is that we're to glean and gain from this time today. Lord, we thank you for Gospel Baptist Church and the beacon of light and hope it continues to be. We ask that you would continue to bless these wonderful folks. And pray this in the name of Jesus, amen. All right, so <clears throat> for many years as I looked at this passage, it would say... Three steps here. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. For a lot of the time, I thought this was just one big ball package that you just kind of get as a believer. You're kind of being a disciple of Christ, and here it comes. What I, more I, or the more I realized when I studied this was this. <clears throat> These were three different choices or decisions that as a believer that I needed to make or should make according to Jesus that says, his word's not mine, if you want to be a disciple, deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow Jesus. So I said, what does that look like? So I began to think about this, unpacking this. The first thing that you, obviously that he lists, it comes across, is to deny yourself. Now, let me just be, I'm, I'm a pretty transparent guy. I did not wake up this morning and the first thought or impulse that I had was to deny myself. Pretty close to it was like, hey, I don't have to be there to 945. I got time for an Egg McMuffin, right? So, I mean, we, we don't think naturally <clears throat> to deny ourselves. But there's something to this because Jesus is saying, the, the, here's the first step, be a disciple, deny yourself. What, so what does that look like as a believer? What is that action step? Well, I think part of that is discipline our daily or weekly life that we're creating some time and space that we can hear from the Lord. <clears throat> How much time do we spend in appeasing the flesh? How much time do we spend with noise? Look, I'm not even talking about bad things or ungodly things or wicked things. I'm just talking about in our culture today, <clears throat> there is constant noise. Uh, every time we turn around, there's, got, there's more things. There's things we've got to pay attention to. Uh, one of the things that I, I, <laughs> that I get caught up real quick is this thing called a smartphone, right? <clears throat> who said something about me on Twitter today, right? Uh, all the different things, social media. Look, I know some of you seniors, you, I, know, I know how much time, I, I see the analytics y'all spend on Facebook, right? That's, that's who we're marketing to in this past election. So, but the point is this, how much time do we spend kind of shutting that aside and we're just spending fellowship with the Lord, denying ourselves? When's the last time that you <clears throat> turned off all the noise around you? Maybe just got in the car and you, drove somewhere and you just had fellowship with the Lord. You're just seeking. And, and here's one of the ways to deny ourselves. Jesus models this in the Garden of Gethsemane when he says, not my will but yours be done. It's through prayer and fasting. Do we talk about that enough? Do we think about that that's really the basic or fundamental first step in denying ourselves is just spending time in prayer. And sometimes that means through, through, through fasting. <coughs> to deny ourselves in a way that we are putting aside those things which are distractions. Paul talks about weights. If I was to go back and look at my life this week, this past month, how much time would I be able to say, Lord, there's a place where I denied myself because I was listening and looking for your guidance in my life? Do we, do we carve times? <clears throat> Again, this is Jesus' words basically saying, uh, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be a disciple, the very first thing is deny yourself. Excuse me this morning. 
I guess I've been talking too much lately for some reason. <clears throat> Deny yourself is the very essence, it's the very foundational piece. Well, you may say, look, I, I'm, Mark, I'm pretty good on that. I've got some areas. Well, just when you think you're past denying yourself, the other one that hits me in the face is the second thing. It says, take up your cross. And I want to spend a little time on this one this morning. If you're a believer, the Bible says you have a cross to carry. <clears throat> I don't like that. And if I can just tell you the truth, I don't, I don't like the aspect of what that looks like in my life when it comes to taking up a cross. What does it look like in your life? Could be marital, relational. <coughs> Could be financial. Could be a wayward son or a daughter, sickness. Could be anything. What is it that God has asked you to carry when it comes to a cross? Because here's the thing. We were just talking with a couple ladies who used the term kind of where I was going. Uh, a cross, a cross can be not only painful, but it also can be embarrassing. Jesus said he made himself of no reputation. See, the, the image of the cross was not just the pain, but but to put you as a spectacle in front of people that, that would be humiliating at times, that would be a way that you would have to carry a cross that, that maybe not everybody else always understands. What, what, what does that cross look like in your life today? Um, here's the interesting thing about the cross. The cross is the journey portion of our life that is to burn off the dross that we're able to come forth as gold. That's the essence. Now, here's another aspect that's very important. It's how you carry the cross. You may just say, yeah, I'm going to carry the cross, but the attitude of carrying the cross is so dis full of disdain or rough that, that the whole point is missed. Because here's the, here's, the, here's the concept of the Christian journey. When you're on the mountaintop and everything's going right, the world doesn't care how you react to that. You're going to re everybody reacts the same way when, when everything's just right. It's when you get punched in the stomach. <coughs> That's when the world is watching the most. How do you react when you're asked to carry the cross <clears throat> in a way that's, well, maybe in a way that you feel like it's unfair, unjust, or dare I say, even ungodly. <clears throat> because, <clears throat> and, and listen, we all have to come to terms with this sometimes. Nowhere does God say that everything is going to work out just perfectly, even when you're walking with the Lord. Uh, that's the challenge. <clears throat> so sometimes God allows brokenness in our lives, because really that's when the world's watching you the most. How do you react to that? Kelly Clarkson sang a song, a pop song about 12 or 13 years ago. <clears throat> the title of it, the title of the lyric of it is, What Doesn't Kill You Makes You Stronger. Well, not necessarily. What doesn't kill you can make you bitter. It can make you angry. It can make you <clears throat> step away from ministry, leave the church. You know, the, the, the toughest thing that I have seen, maybe the toughest cross I carry, that, that, that people have to carry, whether it's in the church, maybe outside, but specifically in the church, <clears throat> that I've witnessed, is the cross of betrayal. Man, and here's, here's the point I want to make on that, is when, <clears throat> when you walk out these doors, or when I walk out these doors, as believers, we're kind of equipped trained to know that we're going to encounter the world. The, the, Paul talks about That's one of, the, one of the reasons that they equip you here at Gospel Baptist Church to put on the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the Spirit. And you're going out that door. You're, you're like, come on, we're quenching all those fiery darts of the devil. Got one, that one. They, all, I mean, we're ready to go. 
<clears throat> but what happens is when you get hit from inside the camp. See, we're not, we're not prepared for that. We're not thinking about that. When that betrayal or somebody does something or said something, because <clears throat> we're focused out here. I uh, had a chance to play quarterback in high school, and we had a couple good teams, smaller school, probably the only reason I made the team. But uh, <clears throat> in playing quarterback, for whatever reason, the coach thought there might be some kind of uh, moral aptitude that I needed to learn, putting me in there with these big offensive linemen on a drill called bull in the ring. Now, I don't even know if it's politically correct they do this anymore, but it'd be a circle, about eight or nine guys, and the guy in the middle would have the football. And the coach would call one of the numbers. Well, number 88, that's a wide receiver, so you, you would turn, and, and the goal was <clears throat> you would want to get your center of gravity to a place, you know, if you've ever thrown a punch or played ball or anything, I know we've got some ball players here, <clears throat> it's very important to get your center of gravity. Uh, and when you would collide, you could kind of absorb the hit. And it would go three or four. Well, every now and then, <clears throat> you would get disoriented. The coach would call number 62. Well, you thought number 62 was over here. And then all of a sudden, you, the recollection number 62 was this way. Before you could get quite turned around, I mean, right in that ear hole. <clears throat> and it would ring your bell. You know, the coach would like, how many fingers? Well, close enough. Back in there. That's, they could do that back then. They can't do that anymore, right? <clears throat> uh, just round it off. Uh, but the, <clears throat> the point was this, is that when, when you had a chance to get ready for the hit, you could absorb it because you were prepared for it. But before you could get turned around sometimes and see what was coming, man, it would take your legs out. And, and the essence of it is sometimes whether they're well-meaning or not, sometimes that comes from inside the church family. Sometimes that comes from your own family. And those I have witnessed over the years sometimes is the toughest cross to carry because here's what the enemy does. He takes that and begins to plant a seed and creates this enmity <clears throat> that sometimes we can miss God's very best for us because we are consumed by what somebody has said or what somebody has done, missing the very mark that God wants us to accomplish. I see it every single day. And look, once again, I'm not saying <clears throat> that what was said or what was done to you was justified or right. There's been tragic situations. But Paul, Paul talks about this uh, when he talks about uh, moving forward, forgetting those things which are behind. Notice he doesn't say whether they're good things or bad things. What happens sometimes is they can become distractions. You know, you meet somebody, speaking of high school, something that happened when they were 20 years old, it was a highlight. Uh, <clears throat> they're 55 years old, and the first conversation we have is what happened when they were 20 years old. Well, that's 35 years. Tell me something else that's had to happen between now and then. The point is this. Do not let things that happen in the past, specifically when they get hit from inside the camp, distract you to the place you're missing God's best. Even seen it in churches, at funerals. One side of the family is on this side, one side is in the family because two generations ago, two grandpas said something against each other. Can't remember exactly what it was, but it wasn't right, and they haven't spoken to each other since. The enemy, that's the win for his camp. How many times... Can we say that we've been able to walk away, even when something has been, that's been done unjust? Is that where my walk is? I've got to ask myself, is that where your walk is today? When Jesus says, deny yourself to take up your cross, what does it look like? 
taking up that cross. There's going to be brokenness in our life. But, but here's the thing. I, I know this sounds like a little bit of gloom and doom. We're, we're turning the corner here. We're going to land it because I want to square what we're talking about here with Matthew 11:30, where Jesus says, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, wait a second. All right. Let's pause just for a second here. How in the world can you sit here and say out of Matthew 16 that Jesus' own words said, if you're going to be a disciple, take, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross, and over here you're saying my yoke is easy and my burden's light. I want that to resonate for a second because at first it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a paradox. It's a seemingly contradiction. But here's the essence of this. When we try to carry the cross in our own strength, it becomes oppressive, it becomes weighted, and lo and behold, and I'm, I'll raise my hand, I'll end up in the ditch because there are times where I'm thinking, all right, God, I got this one. Go help somebody else. You ever been there before? And most often not, I'm missing the whole mark. But when I'm able to say, and let me tell you, there's been a couple of times he's had to kind of pry it out of my hand a little bit, right? But when we're able to surrender that cross back for his glory, back for his honor, that he can work through us to burn off that dross, that we can come forth as gold, that we can accomplish what he's calling us to do. <clears throat> it is in those moments that God is able to work his perfect will through us. But when we try to get ahead of the Lord, or when we try to carry this in our own ability, in our own strength, most often than not, it doesn't always end well. It is when it becomes that heavy load, that oppressive load, <clears throat> a place that could create bitterness. So as we deny ourselves, as we take up our cross this morning, <clears throat> I ask the question, not only what the cross might be that you're carrying, but, but how are you carrying it? Are you carrying it in a way that represents the Christ? Look, I get it. <clears throat> Mark Hall, my friend, uh, 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 casting crowns. He was a youth pastor. I was worship pastor for a while. We just missed each other to church there that we served. But he wrote this lyric that's very convicting. It's from a song called Praise You in the Storm. He says, <clears throat> I say amen, but it's still raining. Now, that, now, what I mean by that is sometimes you're walking through something. You're like, all right, Lord, okay, surrender. I get it. <laughs> Lesson learned. All right, where's the sunshine? God hasn't revealed it yet. Are we then, even in those moments, still be able to say, you know what, I'm going to be faithful, I'm going to continue to serve, I'm going to continue to trust the Lord through this process? It's against human nature. It doesn't make sense to the world, thus providing the opportunity to show our faith and why it's different uh, as believers. You know, two things that I can promise you that you will always encounter Far be it from a politician to give you promises, but there are two, right? Uh, one is <clears throat> adversity, we're going to encounter it. Two is opportunity. And sometimes how we deal with number one, adversity, literally impacts number two, the opportunity that many times God provides for us. Deny yourself, take up your cross, and then this third component, which is very interesting. It's an action step. Just follow Jesus. Well, he said, well, doesn't that automatically come with the other two? Well, it didn't for the rich young ruler. When he sat there, look, all these things I've denied, I've done all this stuff, et cetera, et cetera. Jesus said, well, this is the direction I want you to go now. Ah, too much to ask. What does that look like in your life? Because here's the essence of this, and here's where I want to drive this home in the last uh, seven or eight minutes, okay? <clears throat> when we are willing to make that commitment to follow Jesus, 
This is where Paul talks when he's talking to the church of Ephesus. He he pins this in Ephesians 3.20. He's talking about God being able to do exceedingly abundantly more than what the margins or our finite minds can see God do in our lives. Because here's what we do, right? We listen to the world. We view ourselves. And and more often than not, we put margins on what what we believe God can do in our life. Biblically, historically, it's, there's precedence. Remember Moses at the burning bush? He's trying to convince God, look, I'm not the orator in the family. That's Aaron's kind of skill set. Uh, I'll help out. But uh, how many times, look, how many times do we do that? Legitimately, most often not. There's a need or God is impressing or the Holy Spirit's working in our heart. And I didn't go to the right school. I don't come from the right personal wealth. I mean, all the different things that instinctively we give back to the Lord who can do anything with anybody. And I'll give you one example. I'm, in 2019, I'm named the, the ranking member on intelligence and counterterrorism for our Homeland Security Committee. So before we go into kind of any of our classified hearings, I'm looking at all the, the dossiers and the resumes of the other eight or nine that are on this, maybe seven or eight that are on uh, this committee with me. And, you know, a couple of big Ivy degrees, uh, the runt in the litter, my closest friend, John Ratcliffe, undergraduate, Notre Dame, law school at SMU, get to me, Walker, since I was the last one, and I'm kind of in charge of all these guys, and my paragraph, uh, Piedmont Bible College. <laughs> and I, and I, I couldn't help but look at that and kind of smile, knowing, isn't that just like the Lord sometimes that confounds the wise, that provides opportunity, because what happens, as we talked about, when the world looks at that, that doesn't make sense to the world. How can all these, you know, double degrees from all these big schools, and you get the guy in charge who went to Piedmont Bible College. Who ever heard of Piedmont Bible College, right? Uh, no offense, Harley. Uh, so, because <laughs> uh, uh, I'm a graduate there too, if you didn't know that, right? Uh, so it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's humorous in a way, <clears throat> but that's how God works many times. That's why he called a shepherd boy <clears throat> to take out the giant. That's why he uses everyday people sometimes to confound the wise. But more often than not, we don't trust him to do that in our own lives because we listen to the world. We listen to the enemy when it comes to us. But the follow Jesus part is so crucial because this isn't just to do with vocation. This is the plan that he has each and every day of our lives. Psalms 139 says, you are fearfully and wonderfully made that God knew you when you were in your mother's womb. That means he's got a specific purpose and plan. That's why he says, give us today our daily bread. His mercies are new each morning. Who is it today or tomorrow that you're to encounter that God has been working to intersect? What is it that he wants to accomplish today? I'm not saying you gotta go conquer the world today or tomorrow. If it calls you to do that, go right ahead. But there's a specific purpose and plan. Do we live out our Christian life thinking that way or do we limit ourselves because of the noise and the things around us or that because we're not walking away where we've denied ourselves, looking to take up that cross in the right spirit and then ultimately following Jesus? What does that look like in your life? Well, I, uh, <clears throat> I got a call one night. Uh, I was, had the chance to be co-chair of the prayer caucus in Washington, D.C., about 15 or 20 members. Uh, <clears throat> the schedule normally in, in, in the U.S. House side is everybody flies it on Monday, you have your first votes Monday night. Well, there's about a 35 to 40 minute gap between 6.30 and 7.05 between the votes. And uh, a few of us would gather together for prayer, room 219. If you're looking at where the president gives the State of the Union, it would be just back 
outside that uh, last cloakroom there to his left. But we would gather together, and, and uh, as the co-chair of the prayer caucus, uh, President Trump knew I was one of, the, <laughs> one of the religious guys in his terminology or vernacular. So one night before the day of the prayer, he decides to invite seven or eight of us over for dinner uh, there in the, in the White House. And so uh, obviously when you get a call from President Trump to go have dinner, you, you've, whatever else your plans were, you've cleared the schedule. So uh, <clears throat> even though I did turn him down to play golf one time, but that, that, that probably was a mistake. That's another story, right? So, uh, <clears throat> so anyway, uh, we get over there uh, and there's, we're in this room right off the, it, so you have the Oval Office and then you have a conference room and a dining room right next to it. And President Trump is talking about all these world religions. <clears throat> He's talking about a conversation that he had had <coughs> with, uh, with, with the Pope about the rise of radical fundamentalist Islamists and how they were changing, really, Europe, the entire continent. And he's talking about this. And you ever been in a place where God, the Holy Spirit begins to prompt you, okay, okay, this is where you're supposed to say something. I'm going, oh, man, you know, you know what I'm going to do here? So, so finally, <clears throat> and look, and I haven't always been obedient to that. Let me just be transparent there. There have been times where I've been so busy with Mark Walker stuff. Uh, <clears throat> so I finally interrupted him. I said, well, you see, Mr. President, that's the difference between Christianity and all these other world religions. He said, what's that? Mock in his New York accent. I didn't correct him. Uh, <clears throat> and I said, well, all these other world religions, Mr. President, require you to do something for salvation. In Christianity, it's what we call the atonement. It's the blood of Jesus Christ, Mr. President, that paid the price for your sins and for my sins. And for about three minutes, I just kind of dropped the gospel on him. And, and I, I remember uh, the way he kind of looked at me from a transactional standpoint. And a couple hours later, <clears throat> out there, uh, leaving the White House and there in Pennsylvania Avenue waiting for a staff to, buy to come by and pick me up. I'm thinking, man, I'm just a small-town independent Baptist preacher's kid who just got to share the gospel with the President of the United States. But you know what I also thought? Would I be just as motivated to share the gospel with that grocery store clerk or the gas station attendant? <clears throat> and it was kind of a convicting moment, but at the point being, as we follow Jesus, these are the encounters that, that he provides us are we sensitive enough to the Spirit's guidance and walk? And I'll, I'll close with this because uh, <clears throat> I've never met anybody at any place at any level that lives this out more than my, my father. Anytime I get a chance to bring him honor, I always do so because of just the life that he's led. I, <clears throat> I, as I talked about a little bit earlier, I grew up kind of in the deep south, and uh, we were either... <clears throat> a lot of played a lot of ball at church. We had to come home, do our homework. For mom, mom, mom still is tough. She, she, she can look at me on Fox News and see if I'm in the will of God that day or not. So that's a, <laughs> so some of you have, may have a mom like that. But but she was pretty much a strong disciplinarian, and uh, and so but we, we would we would get out as boys would do, uh, and uh, uh, maybe kind of stretch the rules. And we get doing this thing where. In the backyard, we'd put on our camouflage, and we all had BB guns, and, and those old Daisy BB guns, they was, you could almost see the trajectory coming out of those things. They couldn't do much damage, right? And, and there was nothing more exhilarating, even to this day, than shooting my little brother in the back of the leg, hearing him squeal with a BB gun. It wouldn't even hardly break the skin, right? So, uh, and we'd try to wear heavy clothing. And of course, mom caught us a time or two, and, and she would say, boys, <clears throat> you better not be doing that because you might put... 
Okay, you grew up like I did. All right, okay. <clears throat> One afternoon, we had finished our two hours mandatory homework for mom, I guess, and we're in the backyard, and, <clears throat> and uh, my young, two younger brothers, I guess I was 14, Clay was about 12, and the youngest was almost 10, and, and he was always very tall for his age anyway. But we were back there doing, splitting up, and one had just shot me above the knee, and my middle brother jumps behind a, 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 a big pile of pine needles about the time that, and we kept the guns shot low. And, but as soon as I pulled the trigger, I heard this blood-curdling scream. And up pops my middle brother, <coughs> Clay, <coughs> and he starts running to me. He's got his hand over his eye. And I run to him, and I yank his hand down, and his eye is so dark, full of crimson blood, it's almost black. We get him to our local hospital there in Milton, Florida, Santa Rosa Hospital. They said, there's nothing we can do here. We've got to transport him over to the University of West Florida Hospital, some 20, 25 miles away there in Pensacola, Florida. We finally got a hold of my dad that afternoon who was <clears throat> in the middle of a funeral situation. Got everybody there. The doctor comes in the room late that afternoon. And he says, I don't have good news. He said, you see, not only has one eye been damaged, but there's only one optic nerve that controls sight to both eyes, and it's been damaged as well, and he could lose sight in both eyes, not just one. <clears throat> I turned 53 on Friday. <clears throat> in that, what, 39 years, it's the most sobering moment that I ever remembered, thinking, would I lead the rest of my life knowing that I had blinded my middle brother? We all, he was an all-star pitcher. We all were involved in all that kind of stuff. Just, trying to process that. So the decision was we would spend the night there at the hospital, but we needed some items from back home. So I remember wrestling, do I stay in the hospital room? I didn't know what to say to Clay. Do I ride back with my father knowing that the rage and the wrath and almost even at 14 feeling that I, I wanted to feel that because I knew I was worthy and I was the big brother. I should have known better. Decided to ride with my dad. I certainly didn't sit in the front seat of him in that little Toyota. I kind of cowered <clears throat> in the back seat, and I could see him. And as he was driving, I remember just seeing this tear come out of his eye. Didn't say a word for the first 10 minutes. He pulled off to this old rest area about halfway from between Pensacola and Milton. He began to pray. He prayed this. He said, Father God, <clears throat> we have served you faithfully as a pastor and our lives are committed to serve you for the rest of our natural lives. We will be faithful. And Lord, because of that, there's a confidence that I have in praying to you that you can touch Clay's eyes and that you can heal him. And he prayed for healing for a few minutes, and then he paused. And then he prayed this, and this is the part that stuck with me. He said, but, Father God, if it's your will... more people can know the name of Jesus because we have a blind son, because we have a disabled son. If we're to take care of Clay the rest of his life, because more people will one day understand the saving knowledge of our Savior, Lord, I want you to know that I accept your will. I'll follow you wherever it is. I'll carry this cross. He put it in drive and Got her stuff, came back that night. The next morning, the doctor comes in, and he takes the bandages off Clay's eyes. <clears throat> he looks at my father, and he looks at Clay's eyes, and he looks back at my dad. He said, sir, he said, you must be those praying kind of people. 
My dad said, as a matter of fact, we are. He said, <coughs> he said I can't explain all of this. He said, but last night, your son's eye was a shattered window pane. Today, it's fused back together, and he should have 20-20 vision in both eyes. Now, I say that to say this. <coughs> Obviously, that was a wonderful moment. But the point that I want to drive home, I can't sit here and stand before you and look you in the eye and tell you that that's where my faith is this morning. Wish I could. My children, I think about the, the, the ages, the three children that we have, <clears throat> my wife, whatever might happen. Is my walk, do I have the confidence in the Lord Jesus Christ that even the cross that he's called us to carry, the decision to follow him, to know and to trust that he's working it for my own good no matter what it might be this morning. When I walk out that door this morning, do I have that kind of confidence? I hope and trust that I would. Sometimes until you encounter it, you don't know always. But this is the essence of what we're talking about today, of having the confidence in the Lord when he says this. Look, you're a believer, you're a disciple. I've called you to be a disciple. But here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and trust me that wherever I ask you to go, that you will follow me. Because Ephesians 3.20 says, beyond what this old feeble mind and body can think, He's wanting to do exceedingly abundantly more. Why? Because the world says, how in the world can that old whatever accomplish that? Whatever it might be, ultimately for his glory. Do we have that kind of life and walk this morning? And as a close this morning, for maybe some of you that slept in, maybe a handful of you that said, you know what? You've preached a message to believers, which is true. And I would tell you this. Even with the ups and downs, if I went down the row of each believer, each and every one of us, not a single one of us, would say that we would trade one second of the journey. Even sometimes when the cross gets a little heavy. And if you're not here today and you've had that opportunity, I hope that today is. Let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, <clears throat> as we have opened your word today, I thank you that you have reminded me, hopefully others, Lord, that they, the journey on the paper sometimes seems tough, but when we're able to turn it over to you, to trust you, you can do exceedingly abundantly more with these old feeble lives. <clears throat> we pray, Lord, today that wherever we are, that you would renew our hearts and spirit. Lord, we thank you that you are a faithful God. Lord, we thank you that you love us even when we're not even able to wrap our minds the depths of that. We pray that we trust you that whatever you're calling us, whatever it is that you want us to succeed or accomplish, we trust that you will guide us to take care of us. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Pastor Paul. Thank you, Pastor Mark. Stand with me if you would, please. And